Ah, uh, yes. In uh, the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. And we're happy you're spending some time with us, Chip and Zay, on a Tuesday, a football bonanza Tuesday. Signing day eve for college football. This is signing day now, Zay. Yeah. The February signing day is the second signing day. This used to be like, they used to call it the early signing period. Now it's signing day because the majority of the kids who sign now sign in December. Right. So the February signing date, which used to be the original, is now the February signing date. But Texas, as we were mid-show yesterday, getting the flip from Xavier Filsimi, the previous uh, commit to the Florida Gators, now committed to the Texas Longhorns, Andrew Mukaba from Clemson, the top safety in the portal, now committed to Texas. And it's looking good. Steve Sarkeesian, as I've said, this dude has not made many mistakes off the field since the five and seven season. From the guys he's brought into his analyst staff, Gary Patterson, Paul Chris, Joe D. Camillus, Payam Sadat, to retaining his own staff. To the recruitment, recruiting large humans on the offensive line, bringing in transfers who've made a huge difference. Quinn Ewers, A.D. Mitchell, the guy has not taken very many sideways steps. And now, look, he's in the college football playoff with a chance to win a national championship. One of four teams to have a chance to win college football's national championship. And... It looks like he's going to have another bonanza signing day tomorrow. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, he's making it look easy. You know, this is what the process was all about. When he got the job, he knew, you know, we always quote what he says about Pete Carroll and hitting him up before he took the job. Like, hey, you can do things the same old way and get the same old results, if not just a little bit better, or you could completely change this thought process from these players that are currently there and put in your own coaching philosophy and your own values and see where it goes and believe in that and get guys behind you and the coaching staff that also believes in that. And three years later, like you said, it's a team that has a chance to play for a national championship. You heard Xavier Filsamy talking about like, if you're from Texas, you want to play in the burnt orange. You want to go to Texas. Like that's how it should be. That's how it should be. If you're a top dog, four or five star player, or if you're somebody that, you know, maybe Texas didn't look at at first, like a Matthew Golden, and then now you're like, okay, I'm a lot better. They're taking a look at me. I always wanted to play at that school because I know it's popping and they're finally popping. Then 
you take that call, you visit the campus, and then hopefully if everything fits, if the scheme fits, what you could do, if your personality fits, the city of Austin, a lot of things have to go into it, then, hey, make that commitment. And we've seen Sark and these guys getting flips from Xavier Phils to me. You go back to last year, getting Ant Hill to flip, getting Colton Vosick to flip. Like, they're really putting their culture, like, around the forefront of every think with just college football and what University of Texas well, is supposed to be going to the SEC and it's been fun to watch. Here's here's what Xavier Filsimi told Mike Roach of 24/7 Sports. He said, "I chose Texas because of the development. It's really close to home and I know I'm going to be surrounded by guys who want to win. That's no shot to Florida, but I know I'll have that at Texas. They're going to get all of the top guys in Texas. Kids in Texas want to go play for UT, and that's why I chose them. That is about as good a an endorsement. You know, that's like if I could do an endorsement that well for Apple leasing and <laughs> – Centex tickets and 7-Eleven and Woods Comfort Systems and Olipop and Last Stand and Relax the Back and Top Gun. All stat. I mean, come on. That's that's the best endorsement you could have, Zay. Yeah. All the top kids in Texas want to go play for UT. And here's AM. And look, we got to see how the dust settles with Mike Elko and his staff and how they end up on signing day and in the portal again, portal opens again in May, closes on January 2nd. I'm not taking shots at A&M because that, that program we know can be a monster. It just hasn't been. And I have my own thoughts on that, John Sharp. Um, but they, those Aggies, Listen, they love me. I love them. And they are, they're the most loyal, loudest, proudest. They stand, they put their arms around each other and try to make their stadium collapse. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Have you been to Kyle Field, Zay? No. Okay. So, and I have not been to the new Kyle Field. I haven't. You know, the house that Johnny built, Johnny Manziel, who Johnny Sharp says Johnny Sharp built. But the press box, I think, is still on the ninth floor of that stadium. And when they start, you know, whatever, whatever that song is, Sav, you know, I don't know. You feel the building move. And. I guess they've had earthquake people look at it, but I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. Having a hundred thousand people moving back and forth, causing the whole stadium to shake. <laughs> I'm like, let's not have another crazy situation, Aggies. But listen, I love their spirit, their pride, and let's see what they do because right now, Sarkeesian. Has got it going. And I told you, Zay, as soon as they let Jimbo Fisher go after a 51 to 10 win over Mississippi State, I said, do not discount 
Texas. At that time, they were nine and one. I said, don't discount Texas's success for the timing of this. Because AM is John Sharp. He wakes up every day trying to figure out how to move ahead or measure against Texas. So it um it it's it's impressive what Sarkeesian's done. And obviously the alignment, Jay, you know, Hartzell, Chris Del Conte, even the regents chairman, Kevin L type, who's very understanding of athletics. In fact, it was really L type's blessing that allowed Texas to pay the 21.6 million Oof. to buy out Tom Herman and his staff Damn. because the old guard at Texas thought that Herman did not believe in the school, the traditions thought he was bigger than the school was flippant insubordinate. You know, everyone's like, why did Herman get fired? He was winning. That's why. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, you saw that Drew Locke clip of him mocking Drew Locke during the Texas Bowl. Like, come on, dude, you're a head coach here at the University of Texas. You got to carry yourself with more class than that. And we know all just the BS that he did behind the scenes, flicking off the cameras, just this and that, treating his players like crap. Like, come on, that's just – that stuff doesn't stand. It didn't stand back in the day where people think that it should stood, uh, should have stood, and definitely don't stand now. So, yeah, Ehrman, he might be a solid football mind, but his mentor is Urban Meyer, and it showed here at Texas. Yeah, you know? yeah. And just uh, a little bit of irony that uh, Texas – was, you know, they consulted with Urban Meyer to, hey, look under the hood. Help us look under the hood. You know, they called Bob Stoops. I mean, they look, Del Conte will call anybody. Yeah. And and especially the people who pay extra special close attention to what is going on. And that all led them to Steve Sarkeesian. And a lot of people were like, huh? And they they did their homework. And it's fascinating. I was just driving. I had a doctor's appointment. I was driving back and I heard this uh, interview that Kirk Ferentz did. He's at his bowl game and the reporters are asking him about, hey, when are you going to hire a new offensive coordinator? And Ferentz is like, well, I'm going to take my time and we're going to make sure we're all on the same page. And everyone's like, yeah, but the portal's open signing day, don't you? And he's like, no, we're we're good. I mean, he is so like off off on his own path. But then they're like, well, do you have a certain guy you're looking for? Like a guy who's averaged X amount of points on offense? Because Iowa State, or excuse me, Iowa, we know is like trying to get by with the bare minimum. Yeah. And Ference said. Well, there's a coach out on the West Coast who's recommitting to defense. You know, has scored a ton of points, but check the win column. Mm. Check the win column. Damn. Kirk Ferentz throwing shade at old Lincoln Riley. Check mm. the win column. Iowa, hey, man, we got 10 wins up in here. Damn. We played in our conference championship game. Now, those crazy divisions in the Big Ten are going away. 
Yeah, thank and God. I was going to be the seventh best team. <laughs> Maybe, right? Maybe I mean, that there's word on the street that they hit up Texas analyst Paul Chris. Yeah, and that that makes sense. Makes sense. It does he's a he's a meat and potatoes, run the football, play action pass, and they'd probably both be comfortable. Now, question is, does Paul Chris think he can, you know, land another head coaching job? after having his one year of what studying abroad yeah his his fact finding mission at Texas so it'll be it'll be interesting but man Steve Sarkeesian hadn't made many many sideways steps and I wrote about uh today in my countdown to the sugar bowl because we are now uh, inside two weeks, Zay, that uh, Steve Sarkeesian stopped their first team run about midway through, gathered everyone together, cussed them out, told them, you know, effort, focus, just ripped them on that and said, do you understand what we're playing for? Do you understand the focus it's going to take to accomplish what we want to accomplish? It's going to take a national championship focus. And from what I'm hearing, it it got everyone's attention. Like that was, and then he made them start the run over again. And it was, okay. Yeah, because yeah, again, you got to dumb everybody back down. Everybody's riding a crazy high. You've been getting crazy pats on the back, the love that you've never experienced before because you've never won at this level before, and you've got a grand opportunity. He gives you a, all this time off, and now you've got to get back to practice, which the practice is you're going back to the basics. Like, you're going back to training camp type stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like conditioning, making sure everybody's in shape. Because, again, it's been a little bit of a while since that Oklahoma State game, so who knows what guys have been doing. We all know some guys have probably been in the lab and some guys probably been kicking back on some vacation type stuff. Both of them can be okay depending on the player. But, yeah, I'm all with Sark letting these brothers know, hey, fellas, Big 12 championship, cool, but we got more goals here. Like, y'all are going to try to be in a different category when you leave the University of Texas. This opportunity, it don't come around very often. So, yeah, coming back again just from vacation, air quotes, and trying to get back into the mix and finding that fire again and finding that motivation. It can be hard for some guys, especially with all the love that they've gotten. So, yeah, sometimes you need a wake-up call, and hopefully everybody's locked in and ready to go from here on out. So what is what is, what is is chip face? I don't know what that is. I saw that earlier. I was – was that some inside joke? Because, again, you've been around for a hot minute, so there's some things that I find out every day that's new. So I just – I was going to let that ride. And yeah. I All right, help us out. That. Help us out, SD. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is – oh, here, Taylor say it. 
Okay, from back in the day on the flagship podcast. Gotcha. Appreciate ya. Um, but yeah, we'll talk to Hummer coming up here in a minute and get uh, his take on the latest recruiting news involving the Texas Longhorns and his, you know, weekly temperature check on the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl. Texas versus Washington. Zay, what's your temperature check today? Um, feeling good. You know, feeling real good. I mean, end of the day, we know what scares you. With Washington and with Texas, Washington's offense, Michael Penix, passing game, Texas secondary. Where's it going to be? What adjustments are get, are they going to make? Are they going to move guys around? Is John A. Barron going to be moved around? Is Ryan Watts going to be moved around? How much confidence do you have in Keaton Crawford and Jaron Thompson and Mookie Taff and then Derek Williams in the second half? So, yeah, let's see. You know what I'm saying? We talked about the running backs yesterday. You talked about Jaden Blue. How are those guys going to get involved? Are we going to see some, you know, just different personnel to where you're getting more running backs on the field? I think you should. You know, I think we've seen that in recent games going back to Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, just how explosive Keelan Robinson and Jaden Blue are. And then you got somebody like CJ Baxter who's have who's been, you know, slow and steady, but also getting better week in and week week out. And he's getting more and more healthy. So that's obviously positive too. But yeah, I mean I'm feeling good right now. You know, Washington, I saw Kalen DeBoer win an award for Coach of the Year, one of the many awards that they give out, so well-deserved there. I mean, you talked about it a couple of weeks ago, just his, or maybe it was a week ago, I don't know, but the credentials he has at the D2 level and going through that process, he's just been a winner everywhere he goes. So, yeah, man, like Washington, you look at that defense, it's like, man, the horns, they should be able to put up an easy 40 on this guys but are they going to give up 40 are they going to give up 50 kind of like what you saw with washington against a usc i think texas has a way better defense than those guys but if michael Penix sits back and says you know what f this i'm just going to throw the ball 50 times a game and we'll see where it goes we all know texas could be in trouble yeah yeah i mean i think you got to stay aggressive you've got to be aggressive you've got to start off that way and see where that takes you. You cannot start off trying to keep stuff in front of you. You'll get roasted. And I have to think that that's going to be Texas's game plan as well. They've learned after Sarkeesian laid into his defensive coaches after the TCU game that, hey, we got to play tighter coverage. We got to be more aggressive. That's what our guys do. Malik Muhammad, Ryan Watts. That gives the pass rush the additional time to get there. You're going to get guys healthy. Ethan Burke, you know, should be 100%. He had had mid-season arthroscopic surgery, played four games with, um, you know, banged up meniscus in his knee, got that cleaned up, came right back, two sacks, strip sack against K-State, had a huge game. So it'll be fun. Let's uh, let's check in with our man, the National College Football Writer, Font 24-7 Sports. 
is the portal guru, the one and only Chris Hama. Hama, how you doing? What's up, folks? How are y'all? Thanks for having you know, me on. You know, it's been um, it's been busy, as you know. Busy. How are you how are you holding up, Hummer? How are you doing? How how's your how's your life? You getting any sleep? You getting some meals? <laughs> Too many meals. Um, the scale would say, Chip. Too many meals. Just stress eater over here, just throwing down cheese puffs left and right. It's an ugly scene. <laughs> an ugly scene. To be honest. Cheese but, puffs. Um, What's your favorite cheese puff? Cheetos? Oh no, man! Like the H E V like brand, like just cheese puffs, just throwing them oh. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. bad. I, I had to eat a salad last night for dinner to make up for it. It's just getting gross out here. So, you know, just got to do right. what you can, guys. Haven't been to the gym in like two weeks. Just a, just a rough go. There you go. That. That's the grind, Hummer. That's the grind. You know, That's the grind. Not that now, I've ever looked like I've ever been in a gym before in my life, uh, before today. But, uh, yeah, you know, just that time of year. Hummer, we got a lot to talk about. We'll start with Malik Murphy, and then we'll work our way toward Andrew Macaba and all the latest news. But Malik Murphy, this this was not a surprise, but there are those saying, well, couldn't he done some stuff behind the scenes, gotten that wink, wink, and then put his paperwork in January 2nd so he could stay with the team? Your thoughts? I, it's a tough situation. It's hard to blame Malik Murphy uh, for wanting to hop in the portal now. Um, I think he, Malik is a pretty unique situation. I wouldn't say the same thing about any other position, but only one quarterback can play. And the market's moving faster than it really ever has. Um, I remember back in 2019, um, LSU and Clemson were playing for the national championship game at the Sugar Bowl. And De'Eric King entered the transfer portal that night um, while the game was going on. And it was a massive deal. He ended up at Miami. He was a two-year starter there. Um, it was a pretty big thing that he left Houston and went in the portal. And at that time, the portal was a different landscape. You had time to kind of take your time and make a decision. There were no transfer windows that dictated when players went in. Uh, players were waiting until well after the season to make their final decisions. Uh, we're in a completely different space now. Um, a lot of the top quarterbacks were in the portal or at least announced they were going in the portal well before the portal even opened. A lot of the starting spots are now accounted for. There are only a couple places right now where Malik Murphy would really have a legitimate chance to start in the power five. And he's considering some of those. So from that perspective, I understand him going in, but at the same time, man, like if Quinn Ewers goes down in the sugar bowl, like you're going to be playing a true freshman without Malik Murphy. So it's like, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Um, and I'm sure it's a difficult thing for Malik, but I think his decision is understandable. Yeah. Hummer, Andrew Macaba transferring from Clemson to Texas, big time get ATX kid, LBJ high school, former, you know, head coach Jamal Finner is on this staff. It just seemed like too easy of a choice for Andrew. What kind of player is Steve Sarkeesian, Blake Gideon and the university of Texas getting? Well, Somebody that Texas wanted the first time, if I remember correctly, at least a little bit. Um, Clemson came into Texas' backyard and took Andrew Makuba out of the out of the five one two, I suppose. But now he's back, and it's a huge deal. I mean, Andrew Makuba was one of the best true freshman safeties in the country um, back in, I believe, twenty twenty one. He's been a very good player for Clemson since. Um, he was a bit down in twenty twenty two, but he really rebounded in twenty twenty three. 
had arguably the best season of his career, um, was the linchpin of that Clemson defense, was the linchpin of a Clemson defense that's been in the top 20 each of the last three years, and no smart part because of Andrew Makuba. And him coming back to Austin's a huge deal. Um, Texas needs safety help pretty desperately. Um, I'm sure a lot of Texas coaches and fans wish he could play in the Sugar Bowl in a couple of weeks. Um, he would be a big help. But looking forward to 2024, he is the kind of foundational piece of a defense as it transitions to the SEC. And Texas' front end is also in need of some upgrades, obviously, especially with Devontae Sweats. Uh, likely head of the NFL along with Myron Murphy. But uh, Andrew McCoop is a pretty nice chess piece to have back there. Uh, so look forward to 2024. Yeah, how would you describe his his game, Hummer? Because Catalan, obviously, Jalen Catalan, more of a, I don't want to say box safety, but was, you know, not not hailed for his his coverage and sideline to sideline. Um, coverage. How would you describe Makuba? Uh, Makuba's far more of a covered safety. He's capable of need be kind of lining up at nickel and playing there as well. Um, he can cover guys one on one, um, if necessary. I think, uh, if I it's been a minute since I looked at like his PFF stuff, but I think he was holding opposing receivers to about a 50% completion rate this year, which is really good, especially for a boundary safety. He doesn't play in the box as a pass rusher a ton, it wasn't what Clemson asked him to. Uh, but he's a capable tackler as well. Um, he is a um, multi-level threat, in my opinion, which is what you have to be to be a successful safety. Um, but I think his biggest skill um, is the, his ability to play the ball and to play the ball in the air. Um, he doesn't have a ton of interceptions in his career. I'm looking at the stats now. I think he only has one to his name, but he's broken up a ton of passes. I believe he's over like – I think he was over 10 pass breakups this year, which is a pretty high number for a safety. Yeah. So he's somebody that is capable of playing there and is a pretty sure tackler as well and great instincts. Um, really knows how to find the football. So here's my question. Jaron Thompson has a COVID year. So does Keaton Crawford. Do you want those guys back or do you say, hey, man, appreciate you? I mean, I'm of the opinion you can never have enough depth especially heading into a league like the SEC. You're seeing it this year. Like, I mean, Texas could sure use an extra safety or two heading into the Sugar Bowl. Um, so if those guys want to come back, you bring them back. Um, and I don't think you're stunning the growth of your younger players. Really, like, this sounds bad, but all if you're Texas, all you have to do is manage egos enough to get through the spring transfer portal window, and then you can align the snaps however you want. Um, and if you're Texas and you have legitimate eyes set on a national title run in 2024 – which I'm sure Texas does, especially with Quinn Ewers likely returning. Um, you want as many good players as you can across that two deep. So if they're, they want to come back, you welcome them back. Yeah. As you mentioned, Quinn Ewers possibly returning in 2024. That has to be very appetizing for somebody like Matthew Golding, who's transferring to Texas from U of H. What kind of player is he? You see the success that Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy are having. Matthew Golding, he definitely has some serious speed, but can he fit in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, Homer? I mean, if I was the receiver, I'd want to be in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. I'll tell you that. And I mean, Matthew Golden is somebody that Texas wanted out of high school. Um, I believe they offered him early on when Steve Sarkeesian got here, like in October, and Houston ended up winning out that battle. Uh, Matthew Golden is somebody that's been long rumored as a potential transfer portal candidate, including last year. Um, in that cycle, um, Texas finally 
uh, got their guy um, and Matthew Golden finally got him to go in. And that was a pretty clear connection at that point. And as you said, like he is a speedy guy. Um, he's a sub 11 hundred guy. I'm sorry. He's sub 11 seconds in the hundred meter dash. He's got great vertical speed. Um, he's not the biggest player in the world. He's more stocky, but um, he has shown to be a plus route runner and somebody who can create separation. Um, he's great in run after the catch situations as well. Um, the numbers won't really jump out to you the last two years. He's been hurt quite a bit, which has kind of weighed that down. And as a true freshman, um, he kind of had to bide his time to get in that lineup behind guys like Tank Dell um, before he became a really significant contributor later in the year. So the numbers won't jump out at you. But when he's at Texas next year, I could see him easily being a guy that's a starting um, caliber player for Texas. And I could see a world where he is like a 700 to 1,000-yard receiver pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, do you see him taking over for Jordan Whittington? as that durable guy going over the middle with the I don't know. Um, I would have to take a longer look at Matthew Golden. Uh, this time of year, I'm kind of swimming. Um, in yeah, games. yeah. But uh, I don't really see him being Jordan Weddington necessarily. I believe he played the majority of his snaps out wide for Houston. He's not really yeah. a slot guy for the most part. Um, they used him vertically quite a bit, but I think he is versatile enough to play in multiple positions um, and Steve Sarkeesian's offense if need be. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been a good start for Texas in the portal and they're probably not done, Hummer. You hearing anything else in terms of where Texas may be looking or what positions or yeah, um, well, Texas definitely would love to upgrade off the edge. Obviously, Trey Moore, the UTSA edge rusher, is on the radar for Texas. Um, Trey Moore visited Alabama over the weekend. Um, he had already seen Texas. I think Alabama made a really strong impression on him, but um, I would still consider Texas the favorite in that recruitment, at least to this point. Although when Alabama comes knocking, it's hard to say no sometimes. But I think Trey Moore grew up wanting to play for Texas, and that is an advantage. Um, so edge is definitely a position of need for Texas. I would not be shocked to see Texas try to find an interior defensive lineman. Um, somebody like Jamari Caldwell from Houston uh, could also be on that radar. Um, for them, um, I'm trying to think of other positions. I wouldn't be shocked if Texas took two receivers, depending on how things shake out uh, down the line. And... Off the top of my head, that's about it. I, I would expect Texas to end up somewhere in the four to five transfer window, four to five transfer range um, coming yeah. out of this portal window. So they're definitely not done. Um, a couple key pieces are in the boat, but I think Texas is going to be aggressive on that front. You know, Hummer, one of the bigger moves that I've seen around college football is Dante Moore, former UCLA quarterback, also going to Oregon to join Dylan Gabriel in that quarterback room, which if I'm Dylan Gabriel, I'm looking at Dan Landing like, dog, this is – what are we doing here? I'm supposed to be the next Marcus Mariota. Now you're bringing in a former five-star? Like, what's up with that? It's a little spicy. Don't you agree? Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's much doubt about that. It's funny. Um, Dylan was at Oklahoma, and people were clamoring for Jackson Arnold, uh, at least for part of the season. And now he's going to Oregon, and another five-star from the 2023 class is going to be right on his heels. Um, but I don't I don't really think there's going to be a quarterback competition there. Dylan Gabriel's going there to start. They actively recruited Dylan Gabriel to be their starter. He is a bridge quarterback for them to get them from one era 
of football Bo Nix to the next, which should be Dante Moore. What Oregon did, which is just really smart, is they addressed the current and the future of their quarterback room. Um, they clearly didn't love what Ty Thompson was behind Bo Nix the last couple of years. So um, they went into the portal and not only found a starting replacement for Bo Nix, but found Dante Moore, somebody who struggled at times, uh, to put it politely, for UCLA this year, but has extreme upside. Um, and I think if you can get him to sit for a year, learn behind Dylan Gabriel, take another year to learn the college football kind of landscape, I think Dante could be really successful. And he'll go head-to-head against Austin Novistad um, come 2025. 20, so that is a really potent quarterback room for Oregon. Um, and I think you have to really admire the way Oregon maneuvered things because they got two of the top 10 quarterbacks in the portal, which is not easy to do given only one can play. They found their present and they found their future potentially. Yeah. Our Oregon offensive coordinator, Will Stein, formerly of Lake Travis and UTSA. Um, One of the things Jeff trailer hated or hates about being at UTSA is that he develops the players into total studs and then the big boys come in with their nil bags and walk off with his players but yet jeff trailer still at utsa hummer um you hear in his name anywhere you think he's back at utsa well there are no the last fbs head coaching job was filled yesterday um at troy uh with stephen parker the Notre Dame offensive coordinator going there. So I think Jeff Trailer is going to be staying put for another year. Um, if you're looking at future potential Jeff Trailer jobs, um, Houston obviously came off the board uh, this year. Uh, they went a different direction. Um, I think Jeff Trailer is probably okay with that direction, the way it went with Willie Fritz being there and how that situation happened. Um, so I think in the future, like you look at a place like Baylor as a potential opening. Um, depending on how Dave Aranda does, but maybe it's also a place like Arkansas. Um, if Sam Pittman um, ends up being fired in 2024, I'm getting my years confused as we talk about these things, but yeah, for now, I think Jeff Trailer is going to be back at UTSA. Um, UTSA will make another run in an American championship and Jeff Trailer has to hope he can keep the momentum going because um, head coaches can lose especially G5 head coaches, they can lose the shine pretty quick uh, with one bad season. So you have to sustain success to kind of keep that going. I haven't looked. I mean, obviously Frank um, Harris is done finally. Is he? Because soon. I wouldn't be surprised if he came back, Chip. Has he got a seventh year? I don't know, man. This was his seventh year. Yeah, this was his seventh. So who's going to play quarterback for him next year? Do we know? I, I don't at this point. No, um, yeah. they're going to. It's amazing. The first time entire... since what, 2017, they have a yeah. real question at quarterback, which is yeah interesting. But no, I think they could look at transfers. Um, they obviously had two guys play in, in Frank Harris' stead earlier this year uh, when he was hurt for two games at the beginning of the season. So UTSA will have some options. But yeah, um, they're losing a lot of talent off this team, like a ton, um, not including, not just Trey Moore, uh, but a lot of multi-year starters are departing. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting test for you to say, and that development factory that Jeff Taylor likes to have there. So I'll be very curious what they look like come 2024. 
Hummer, I saw you pulled out. Christopher Ross officially entering the portal. No surprise here. We knew that dude's probably going to enter the portal. But with what you see Bo Davis doing with this defensive line and you see the success that Byron Murphy and Trevondre Sweater have it, it's just kind of like, why aren't you waiting around for that? I get it. Not everybody's the same, but why wouldn't you wait around and, you know, trust the development there? That's still an interesting one for me. Yeah, I mean – I think the days where you would see somebody wait at like an Alabama for four years to play as a fifth year senior, pretty much done. Uh, I think Christopher Ross played like 20 something snaps in his entire Texas career after two seasons. And nobody's really patient enough. I'm not even saying patient enough. Like everybody is their own person and they all want to take different paths. Everybody has different priorities um, and different things they want to get done for themselves. And I think, there was no real immediate path to playing time for Christopher Ross looking at the roster. Texas is quite clearly trying to upgrade on the edge via the portal. So it's not necessarily thrilled with what's in the room um, going forward, at least. Um, not that you can ever have enough quality edge players, but when you're going after people like Trey Moore or you're going after um, somebody like um, Tyler Barron, who ultimately committed to Ole Miss, like it signals that Texas feels like it needs to upgrade on the edge. And if you're a second-year player looking at your chances of moving up the depth chart and you see Texas going into the portal to sign a veteran off the edge that plays the same position you do, I, I understand wanting to look around potentially. Um, but, yeah, everybody's everybody's path is different in that regard, and some people are going to choose to stay ultimately. But I think more often than not in this era, players are going to bounce pretty quickly if they're not playing a lot after two seasons. Hummer, where are you hearing uh... – AM defensive tackle Walter Nolan will end up. I would say Ole Miss is the favorite right now. Uh, Ole Miss. How is Lane doing this? They are reeling him in. Yeah, I would I would start thinking about college football a lot like you think about um, professional sports. Um, you're going to have title windows uh, for programs um, based on how schedules set up and based on your quarterback and based on your returning talent and Ole Miss uh, with the way its schedule sets up next year, uh, which is, I mean, I'm going to put easy in quotation marks because nothing in the new SEC is easy. There's no such thing as an easy schedule in the SEC moving forward, but Ole Miss's schedule is very gettable in 2024. Um, I believe they only host, they only have to travel to play one top 25 team, at least what I think will be a preseason top 25 team. And that's LSU. All of their other difficult games are in Oxford. I think they start the season, like they could start the season 6-0 and pretty easily based on the way the schedule sets up. And with Jackson Dart coming back uh, for another year, uh, with Quinchon Jukkins looking like he's going to come back after a lot of transfer rumors earlier this offseason, um, Ole Miss is going all in. Um, Ole Miss's collective has clearly been activated this offseason. They're doing a lot of short-term big deals for some of these guys in the portal. Um, and I think that's appealing for somebody like Walter Nolan. Um, you're going to not only get paid, but you're going to have the opportunity to potentially compete for an SEC championship at a place that really hasn't ever competed for SEC championships. So I think that's the mentality for Ole Miss right now. You got to take advantage of the window while it's there. And that's why you're seeing the large majority of good defensive players in the portal considering Ole Miss because they're being very aggressive with it. Would you say they've, they've been the biggest winner in the portal this I, I yeah, I would say so. Like Ole Miss's defense definitely needed an upgrade. It was much better this year. 
Um, Pete Golding came over from Alabama as the defensive coordinator. Pete Golding, another former UTSA coach, he was there uh, when Frank Wilson was. Um, and Pete Golding did a really good job with that defense. I think it finished 46 nationally and yards allowed per play. But there's a clear difference between Ole Miss's defense and some of the elite in the SEC. And what you're seeing Ole Miss do uh, in the portal is not only upgrade the top end of its depth chart, but also upgrade its depth on its defense and throwing a guy like juice wells who was also considering texas um at wide receiver who was one of the top overall players in the portal throwing chris paul at linebacker who's one of my favorite players in the portal i think he's going to be a draft pick um you put together a class that is pretty unquestionably um the best in the country right now um defensively and Tyler and Aaron, the edge from tennessee i like that guy can play he's played a ton of football in the sec a guy that alabama wanted a guy that texas wanted um, I think Ole Miss has the top two edge rushers in the portal right now. I think they have the number two receiver, the number two linebacker, and three of the top five or six cornerbacks or defensive backs. So they are loading up. Um, I think they're unquestionably the top winner of the portal right now. And I think it's an example of like how you build a roster um, in this era. Like you're not going to be able to compete every year unless you're Alabama, Georgia, Texas, some of these top teams, but. Ole Miss sees a window in 2024 and it's going for it. Is John Grisham pouring money into that program? What's where are they getting all their NIL dollars? I I could not tell you specifically where the NIL dollars are coming from. Because they got um, 10 big time portal guys. Yeah. Committed. They are uh they're fundraising their butts off right now. It's um, a and, lot of jack. Yeah, yeah, it is. But if you think about it, like it's just where your priorities are. Um, that money's there. Like you just have to get the boosters to not give it to the program and have it be tax deductible. Um, or if you're creative, give the boosters to get it to the program and have it be tax deductible. Um, it's a very murky landscape right now. Um, if I was the IRS, I'd be very interested in looking at the NIL. <laughs> Frankly, I'd be very interested in looking at donations to athletic programs, um, which has been a loophole that I've never quite understood, but um, is, what is this industry is built on? Um, very rich people getting to play general manager by donating money uh, for tax deductions to their favorite athletic programs. So interesting space. Yeah. Hummer, Billy Napier, seems like he's seriously on the hot seat. I mean, all these flips from the University of Florida for Texas benefit. You think about Wardell Mack flipping to Texas, Xavier Filsamy flipped yesterday. You got Princely, their defensive end going to Ole Miss, and then Trevor Etienne. It looks like he's going to go to the rival school in Georgia. Like when you don't make a bowl like they did and look how they did with all those resources that they have in Gainesville, he has to be on the hot seat. Yeah, no question. Um, And it's, if I was Billy, I'd be frustrated. If I was Billy Napier, I'd be a little frustrated. Like they have clearly taken the tact that they are going to build the program from the high school roots up. Um, they did not go for the quick fix in the transfer portal. Um, they have, they were a program at Louisiana that succeeded via evaluations and development. And I think Billy Napier had hoped to do the same thing at Florida. Unfortunately, um, fans are not patient in the SEC. Um, fans are especially not patient in Gainesville. Um, I would say the Florida Gator fans base is among the most um, aggressive in college football, I would say, um, with their critiques. Um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to phrase it. Um, but they're not patient there. And 
I think what would usually be pretty celebrated, like obviously five and seven is not good enough for Florida and the way the season ended really put a damper on Florida's chances. But right now Florida still has a top 10 class. Um, They've signed some really good players in the transfer portal so far. Um, I think the program in a different era might be still considered trending up, but right now Florida's just bleeding and teams going for the kill. You saw that with Texas flipping. Uh, five-star safety you've seen numerous flips out of florida in recent days i had a signing day and um billy napier is definitely going to need a strong 2024 season to survive well hummer we haven't talked to you i think since the sec schedules for 2024 came out um i know i'm asking you to like clear some space on your mental hard drive to go back but what did you think of Texas's 2024 SEC schedule? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look it up, Chip. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been in transfer land, but uh, let me take a gander. I remember thinking it was weird that uh, the AM game wasn't on Thanksgiving Day, but I realized they can flex it out of it. So that's, Yeah, uh, they can flex wrong. that. Yeah. Uh, I think just taking a quick look at it, it's really gettable. Um, I mean, it's hard to say that. When you add Georgia to the schedule, when you add um, Texas A and M to the schedule, but like looking at the schedule right away, you only see what you got: Oklahoma at the Cotton Bowl, like normal. You get Georgia at home, um, and then you get A and M at Kyle Field. Um, right now, I think there are only two year-end top twenty-five teams on that schedule. That's Georgia and Oklahoma, um, and both of those games take place in the state of Texas. Um, there are much more difficult schedules in the SEC out there than what Texas has. And I think that is a very gettable path for a program that I feel pretty confidently will be a top five team going into next year based on what returns. Um, so yeah. I, I think Texas is in pretty decent shape there. You could argue, I mean, you could really argue other than the Michigan game, which was already on the schedule. Like, obviously that is a different uh, beast. Like the toughest games on Texas schedule in the SEC next year, are all in the state of Texas, every single one of them. Um, so from that perspective, I think Texas fade, fade, wait, fared pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Hummer, you look at Jackson Arnold and Oklahoma. I don't think Brent Venables has really hit the portal too hard when it comes for looking for a quarterback, but they must be high on the five-star coming out of Denton. What is his upside and our Sooner fans, should they be confident with Gabriel leaving and Jackson Arnold coming in? And we'll probably see him at the Alamo Bowl, correct? Yeah, he should start. Um, personally, like, I mean, not to upset Texas fans, but I think there was an argument for Jackson Arnold to be ranked ahead of um, Arch Manning coming out of the 2023 class. Oh. Um, Jackson Arnold was one of the most productive passers in Texas high school football history last year. He did it for Denton Geyer, a powerhouse program, obviously, but was playing 5A, 6A competition in the state of Texas and putting up crazy numbers the whole way. Um, I think he has everything you want. He's mobile. He's accurate. Got a strong enough arm. And I think he's going to be ultra successful for Oklahoma moving forward. Um, If I was Oklahoma, I'd be more concerned about losing guys like Caden Green to places like Missouri than I would be about my quarterback situation. So. Yeah, what you make really good Arnold? about Jackson Arnold. There's a reason why Oklahoma was comfortable moving on to Jackson Arnold. Um, Dylan Gabriel didn't transfer out of nowhere. That was not a surprise to those in Oklahoma. This was always kind of the plan all along. Um, they needed to move on to Jackson Arnold. Jackson Arnold, and I think Oklahoma will be in good shape with him as their quarterback. 
it might be 2025 until they really peak. I think that's very possible. Um, Brett Venables is still recruiting his way up there. I think 2025 will be a much better season for Oklahoma than 2024, but I feel pretty confident in Jackson Darnold's ability to succeed um, in Norman. Yeah, what'd you make of Caden Green, their Oklahoma stud offensive lineman, um, transferring to Missouri? Uh, I mean, it's just college football in 2023. Um, NIL is a big part of things. Um, and it sounds weird that Oklahoma uh, wouldn't be able to beat Missouri for NIL, but there are a lot of, a lot of factors there. Um, Caden's from St. Louis um, a lot. Oh, Missouri has a very significant St. Louis pool. His high school coach has a ton of connections to the Missouri program as well. Um, so it wasn't, necessarily shocking but it is it is surprising to see a player who played so well as a true freshman for Oklahoma still under the transfer portal um he was already playing for one of the best offensive line coaches in college football and Bill Beatonball so um a little surprising but um it's just kind of kind of where we're at in college football right now uh players are getting bought off other people's rosters it just kind of is what it is yeah Hummer last thing from me what's your gut on the sugar bowl today I I have Texas. I have Texas winning. Um, I think I don't remember what the spread is. I think it's like Texas minus four. I think it'll be a field goal game potentially, but I think Texas is better um, pretty much everywhere. I just the only thing if I was concerned about as a Texas fan would be how the secondary holds up against that uh, Washington passing offense. But I think Texas has an advantage pretty much everywhere else. Um, and I'll I'll just bet on the team with more talent in these situations and. Uh, bet on Steve Sarkeesian's ability to scheme his uh, players open as well. Um, so, yeah, I like Texas right now. Yeah. Last one for me, Hummer. Uh, Chip and I discussed this yesterday. Running back Jonathan Brooks, we know what happened to him with his ACL. But if you look at a lot of these mock drafts, he's either number one or either top five on running backs possibly taken in 2024. What do you think he should do or what do you think he's going to do when that decision comes? Um, I'd be, I mean, it's really hard to go to the NFL coming off a torn ACL, um, in November, like you can't go through the combine. You can't, you can't really do any of the things you need to get ready. You're going to be a question mark for NFL teams. Um, had you asked me that question pre-injury, I would have told him to absolutely go to the league. Um, but given the situation, like, I think it makes a lot of sense for Jonathan Brooks to return. Um, he'll still be the number one back for Texas. Um, he'll have an opportunity to show that he's fully healthy. But I think it's a very difficult thing to do um, coming off a significant injury to insert yourself into the NFL draft process and the medicals that go along with it, uh, with where he's at. But uh, we'll see. I, I honestly, I don't know what Jonathan Brooks is going to do from that standpoint, but I know if I was in his shoes, I would strongly consider coming back. I don't know what Hung Lowe's doing here, but he clearly I, don't know he's I get it, I but I don't get it. <laughs> hey, Hummer, everyone uh, – Everyone loves it when you come on. So we appreciate it, man. We know you're going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, anytime, y'all. Have me on anytime. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and I'll talk to you all soon. Same to you. Get some sleep. Get some salads in, in in addition to your cheesy poofs. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm going to drown in those cheese puffs later, guys. Don't you (laughs) worry. All right. All right, buddy. Great job. All right. A lot of, lot of, Red meat to chew on there, Zay. Yeah. I mean, 
what Ole Miss is doing is you remember when Hugh Freeze was there and he got Laramie Tunsil and he got uh-huh. the uh uh Cam Deachin brothers or whatever, um and Tony Scott. I mean, he had like six top ten players in one recruiting class. Kendichi, Robert Kendichi. This feels like that. And yeah. and then when you look at Ole Miss's schedule, it starts to make sense. I mean, they're uh they get these are this is the this is the Ole Miss home games for next year. Furman, Middle Tennessee, Georgia Southern, Kentucky, uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, Mississippi State. And the road games are Wake Forest, South Carolina, LSU, and Arkansas and Florida. That is that's, that's gettable. Yeah. For sure. And say what you want about Lane Kiffin. I mean, you saw those guys dunking on the basketball hoop on the sideline after they did something well. Like, he has a fun atmosphere there. He reminds you a lot of Michael Leach, just kind of his quirky personality. But when it comes to being a very intelligent offensive mind, he has that too. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's popping up there in Oxford, but – I don't know. Still got to play. Still got to play. Like Ole Miss, they don't got Alabama on the schedule, do they? Because that's his – that's the game that he can never win. He can't beat his mentor, Nick Saban. So, you can well, avoid that. He wins the games he's supposed to win. The two games he lost this year were at Alabama uh-huh. and at Georgia. Uh-huh. Yeah. He won all the rest. He beat LSU in Oxford. You know, beat beat Arkansas, beat Auburn at Auburn, beat AM, you know, won at Mississippi State. He wins the games he's supposed to win. And that's how you keep your job. That's how you're able to recruit. The great coaches win the games they're supposed to win. Lou Holtz always said, you you lose a game, you're supposed to win, you lose 10% of your fan base, which sounds drastic. But then, you know, he said, you got to upset someone to get those fans back. And so Lane Kiffin, 10 and 2. 10 and 2. We, yeah, and... Scott, I don't get this. Scott said Ole Miss equals blue chips in basketball. Did you ever see blue chips? Oh, one of the greatest. One of the greatest. Well, then you understand. I mean, yeah, but back then it was very illegal. So, no, he's. I I get that, you know. Scott's just saying they're flexing, man. They're they're, they're throwing the cash. Yeah. You get to have. I mean, oh. Blue Chips is such a bootleg movie. Literally the first scene of the game. Like, before they go out on the court ship, you got Nick Nolte, like, throwing water coolers and cussing the team out. Before the game, you're supposed to be giving a motivational speech before the game, not cussing the guys out and bitching. Like, it's just a horrible movie. The best part was Shaq Diesel's acting, and that's saying a lot. But, yeah, I guess that's, you know – Similar Ole Miss and if Lane Kiffin's doing that crazy stuff that Nick Nolte did, then hey, we'll see. 
Shorty talking about Mizzou and Ole Miss and the conference championships going to be lit. Hell no. Hell no, Shorty. If that happens, Shorty, I give you a Hunsky. You get $100 for me. If that happens, 2024, if we get a Missouri Ole Miss SEC championship game, I'm going to give Shorty $100. That's it. Because I got to keep Ambroke. So I got to give it up to Eli Drinkwitz. That dude, first of all, he's funny. He is funny. I mean, he goes on SEC Network and he says funny stuff. They were six and seven last year. So the Eli Drinkwitz era, his first three years, five and five, six and seven, six and seven. And this year he was the second best team in the SEC East. That's that's hard to that's hard to do. You kind of get penciled in as a middle of the pack team it's hard to get momentum in recruiting but they got luther burden they got enough guys around him and suddenly missouri was was you know they beat k-state on that 61 yard field goal and then they kind of parlayed that momentum and now they pull you know caden green away from oklahoma who as hummer pointed out is a you know missouri st louis guy yeah but that's impressive, man. We'll see if he can get something going there because outside of Georgia, with Florida kind of limping around and Tennessee took a step back this year, that and and now we're doing away with divisions. You're just gonna have your you're just gonna have your one or three annual opponents, and then the SEC will throw the rest into their, you know, little lottery machine to see who else you're playing but that sec man that is gonna be a cage fight it's gonna be fun yeah yeah definitely gonna be fun i mean i think it's just gonna kind of bounce around on teams like the south carolinas of the world or the old misses or the missouris and just making those surprise years or kentucky like we know kentucky they can easily have a really good team they've put in good nfl players as of late will levis probably being the latest one but yeah it's gonna be a there's a, it's either a big time game against a top 25 opponent or a big time trap game because that team that you're possibly gonna play vanderbilt to the world they got some guys too especially with this transfer portal like you just never know so yeah texas is gonna get everything they want next season and then some yeah we're gonna have um i see this this comment um from andrew texas just got a commit four star 2025 from florida yeah uh brandon brown defensive lineman you know i'm always Keeping an eye on those defensive linemen, Zay, and so I, I can't wait to hear what what Hank has to say about uh, about Brandon Brown because those are the guys who keep the who keep the program going. Yeah, I agree. And you know, how do you not want to play for Bo Davis? Like the intensity that he brings, the development, 
that you're seeing in guys like Byron Murphy and Travandre Sweat and just how impactful those guys are, even on the edge, Baron Zarrell and Ethan Burke. You mentioned Ethan Burke just being a little gimpy this year due to injuries. Like if he was 100% throughout the season, I'm sure his stats would be a lot better than what they show. But, yeah, man, seeing other guys have success, that's infectious. You want to be a part of that. You want to get to the CFP. You want to play in the SEC. And I know some, you know, people are thinking, man, Texas with this schedule going to the SEC, what are they doing playing the Michigans and the Ohio States of the world? Well, for one, there's a 12-team playoff, so playing those teams, I don't think it matters as much. But two, if you want to get to the NFL, you got to play against top-tier guys as much as possible and do well against those guys. So these GMs and scouts in the National Football League, they could see that. They're going to look at your game, okay, well. Well, he had, you know, three interceptions against Eastern Carolina Tech, but did he? what did he do against Ohio State? You know what I'm saying? Oh, we had about four sacks against Northern Tennessee, you know, A&M, but what did he do against Georgia? Like, that means something. So I like the big games. Like, it's good for business. You're going to bring those Big Ten teams down here the year after, next season so that's going to be good for the fans and we've seen it you know throughout these last few years being in the big 12 chip some of these games at dkr just been too suspect you know iowa state coming to town okay oklahoma state kansas state coming to town all whatever now you're getting the floridas now you're getting a&m again now you're getting the georgias of the world like that means something so yeah, I'm with it. Like, that's big time getting a commitment from Florida on the D-line. Like, we'll see what Brandon Brown's made of in a couple of seasons. Because, again, you should want to play for Chiefs Arkeesian and Bo Davis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh seems like Brian Kelly is always trying to pull on Bo Davis. I mean, like, from the minute Kelly got that job – Seems like he just keeps trying to pull him in. So hopefully, I get it. I you know, get he it. went there. He went to LSU. So he, he's, you know, Brian Kelly's no dummy. Yeah. There's a reason that Bo Davis has been a part of what three national championship teams. 03 LSU, 09 Alabama, 2015 Alabama. So, yeah, Bo Davis. And Sark keeps telling him they're going to build him a, a statue in the North End for that, that rant that he had on the bus at Iowa State. When he, I got my ass kicked. Some of you bleeps need to get in the portal. Yeah, some of you mother just need to get in the portal. Need to get in the portal. <laughs> he was so mad, man. He was so bad. Like, low-key, you could hear, like, just that angry to where, like, he might be crying. Like, it was pitch black, but just, like, hearing his voice and it go a little high pitch. Like, he was very – like, we know he was mad, but he was really emotional. Like, he was very just deflated because, again, that was embarrassing. Those are embarrassing times, man. That five and seven season was absolutely brutal. And he saw the talent in that room. 
it didn't make up for the will. He said, okay, all this talent, we got five stars here. We got five stars there. I see similar talent that I saw in Alabama. Where's the disconnect? You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's y'all laughing and shit after we get our ass whooped and Ames and Brock Purdy and Brees Hall come back on us like they did when we were winning the game. Like, there's a certain pride that just wasn't in that locker room at the time that is here now, and a lot of that's because of Bo Davis. Yeah. That's the, like what are you talking about? I mean. Oh, he, he does. Okay. Yeah, he, he just does wear that long sweatshirt. Just a big sweatshirt. It's not a hoodie. It's just a sweatshirt. Yeah. Oh, Sh- Bo Suge Knight Davis. Yeah, man. That's what it should say. Bo well, Suge Knight Davis. Maybe not. Suge's, Suge's not yeah. doing so well right now. Yeah, Suge's really gangster. Like Bo Davis, he's gangster, but he should night gangster. That's different. We gotta ask John Brown if he's ever, you know, both of those guys growing up in Compton. After yeah, you said Shug's a little younger than him. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh another guy who's working is slaving over a hot laptop. Just broke some ore news and is taking time for us. Uh, just broke the Brandon Brown news. 2025 defensive lineman, Hank. Great job. You're working like a <laughs> like a $3 hooker over here. So um, what, uh, what can you tell us about Brandon Brown? Yeah. So this just broke, you know, in the last 10 minutes. Um, he, he announced his commitment on Twitter, or, or X, I should say. Um, four-star defensive lineman from Florida. So I think first off, like Texas is fully embracing the SEC with its 2025 class. You got KJ Lacey from Alabama, Emory Winston from Georgia. Now you got uh, Brandon Brown from Melbourne, Florida. But, you know, I spent the last five minutes before we got on here watching his tape and man, you know, he, he is, he is something. He's like a bowling ball, like a wrecking ball, um, you know, firing off the defensive line, just disrupting plays. He had a, one-handed pick in one of his 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 first highlights on his huddle page um so you can see right out of the gate you know why why texas liked him he, i mean someone was asking me like was this even on your radar and it's like well you know i didn't know he was going to announce today to be honest but you know the kid was on our radar he was on uh he has a texas offer he has a lot of offers um but decided today's the day to 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 pop and we see this sometimes with kids you know um uh, you know, signing day for the, the current class, they decide the kids for next year decide they take the opportunity, you know, well, all the attention's on recruiting to go ahead and, and announce. And that's what he did. But, you know, when we get off here, I'm going to hopefully give him a call and, you know, get his thoughts on uh, committing to Texas and everything that went into it. But really like his tape. I just posted his huddle on our site and it uh, seems like there's a lot to be excited about with him. Well, I know you're you're going 100 miles an hour. How would you size up Texas's defensive line recruiting? I know I always ask you this, but to me, that's like you got to hit, you got to have that covered, or else yeah. you can slip as a program. Yeah. Look at Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're doing a great job. Um, you know, we're gonna see how they finish out this cycle. You know, there's guys, you know, that they've, you know, been involved with in the portal. You know, they they reached out to Walter Nolan. You know, you're not, you know. We, that's probably not going to happen as we've learned, uh, you know, Jamari Caldwell, the, the Houston defensive line transfer is a guy that's been in the mix, but in terms of the prep ranks, um, you know, three commitments on board um, in terms of that interior defensive line with Alex January, Melvin Hills and uh, 
DeAndre Robinson. I think three really, you know, high ceiling type prospects. Um, one interesting name that was on campus this past weekend that we've talked about off and on is Alex Foster, who's committed to Baylor, a kid from Mississippi um, that is a uh, three-star defensive lineman. We interviewed him coming off his trip to Austin and uh, committed, like I said, committed to Baylor. He was saying, you know, Texas's chances right now are really high or high. I should do the proper quote. But uh, so it sounds like, you know, everything went well there. He said he had a really good time in Austin. He is not planning on signing um, a letter of intent on Wednesday or, you know, during this three-day period starting tomorrow. He wants to take it to February. So, you know, we'll see. I, you know, Texas is going to continue recruiting him, if he, whether he goes tomorrow or, you know, in February. Um, so, you know, that's a guy we're watching on the defensive line. Um, Dalen Evans, a Texas A&M commit that, that Texas really wasn't pursuing very hard early on. He's a guy that they're in contact with, um, and he, he wants to visit. Uh, take an official visit to Austin in January. We'll be keeping an eye on uh, if he signs a letter of intent tomorrow. And then obviously the big fish is Dominic McKinley, um, the 24-7 sports five-star defensive lineman from Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, Steve Wilfong had a really interesting little note last night on our uh, message board over at Horns 24-7 saying uh, there's – but because, you know, the the, the uh, expectation was he was going to wait until February to sign his letter of intent, but now – he might be looking at signing on Wednesday. And if he does, it's likely not with Texas A&M. So that leaves the two schools that are, um, have been heavily in the mix for him throughout and that's Texas and that's LSU. So that'll be a little storyline we're watching tomorrow. I, I reached out to some sources. Um, you know, they, they believe he's still waiting on signing. So we're going to keep an eye on that, but you know, if Steve Wolfong reports something, um, you know, you got to keep a close eye on that because he does not miss, um, often if at all. Yeah. Hank Xavier Filsimi flips from Florida along with Wardell Mack, who earlier flipped from Florida, both going to Texas now to deepen that secondary. How big of a get is this? We know the McKinney product. He definitely praised Texas, talking about him and his connection with Blake Gideon and just, you know, their chemistry. That's obviously huge. But just to get that flip, Steve Sarkeesian and his coaching staff, obviously they were locked in. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's huge. And I, I don't think enough is, is you know, enough attention is upon the fact that they didn't even offer him until October. You know, that, that this is kind of like a, a late surge Texas made here and, and really made up a lot of ground. You know, he was very happy with Florida. Obviously, we've seen the Gators recruiting efforts. You know, I feel bad laughing. I mean, they're just tanking um, recruiting wise. They still have some some top guys. Obviously, DJ Lagway and LJ McCray, who might end up flipping also. But uh, you know, that they're, they're kind of just trying to stay above water at this point. And uh, you know, Xavier Fulsme, that was a guy. Again, you know, they 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 did. You know, they they pushed late for. They offered him right before the Red River Shootout. Got him on campus. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, for an unofficial visit and then this past weekend for an official visit which essentially sealed the deal but you know he had that quote to Mike Roach in his commitment story just saying you know kids in Texas want to play at Texas right now and and uh you know that that's a good uh, indicator of the health of your program you know with the the, the home state kids want to stay home and, and and play for the home state school so uh massive get a kid that you know could probably have kind of a Derek Williams-esque impact in terms of you know freshman uh, freshman that could play in the secondary next year. Um, just, you know, obviously all around, just really talented football player. He's a converted wide receiver to safety. So, you know, he's got those ball skills. He's really instinctual, high IQ. So really big time get. Um, and, and like you said, you know, flip two of Florida's top defensive back commits, you know, they're, they're doing, um, 
a lot of good work between, you know, Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon. Yeah, Hank, I'm looking at the team rankings, AM down at 21. How high were they? Do you remember? Ooh, I'd have to go back and add this stuff back to the calculator. I think they were like nine or 10 because when Texas broke into the top 10 or 11, I think they were just behind AM or just above or just ahead of them. So they, I mean, they've, they've taken some hits the last uh, few weeks and they still, I mean, we'll probably talk about them, but you know, Ty Anthony Smith is still out there as well. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker, uh, Texas going to be losing, you know, Jalen Ford. Um, and where, how, what's that situation looking like? Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of, you know, confusion, misdirection. Maybe it was last week with um, his plans. Uh, the, the, there was the, uh, um, the thought that he was going to officially visit Austin this past weekend. And from what we've been told, he did, um, he did make it in, you know, he, he was saying at one point in the week, he wasn't, he wasn't going to visit Texas. He's locked into Texas A&M. Then he tweeted like a gif of the Colorado state or the state of Colorado flag. So people thought he might be going to Boulder for a visit. So, you know, you're trying to decipher all the, the, uh, the social media, social media misdirection. And the emoji but, uh, game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but he, we were told he did end up in Austin. Um, so we've actually changed, and, and as we reported on Horns twenty four seven, you know, if he does make that visit to Austin and and uh, and you know takes a look at Texas on that official trip, uh, we think he's going to end up in Austin for, for at Texas. So um, he's still committed to Texas A and um, We've been checking around. You know, he. I don't think anything's going to happen today. I think um, he. I mean, he intends to sign tomorrow. You know, he's an early enrollee, so. He's got to get this thing over with uh, one way or the other. But I do think tomorrow he signs with Texas um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what time and and everything. But I think things are still trending in the right direction. And, and you know, that's without Jeff Choate, who was kind of leading the charge um, on recruiting him. You know, Texas has, has stayed in this thing even in the midst of, a, you know, a linebacker coach opening. So that just shows goes to show, you know, the you know top to bottom ability of this staff to, you know, pick up, pick each other up when one's, you know, pick things up where left off that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, is this a, I, I think is this a Jeff fun. Banks rescue job could be. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously a lot of ties in, in that area. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, he's certainly playing a role, you know, PK, obviously, um, you know, Sark is, is Sark's on, uh, on a mission this, on this recruiting, you know, I think, what did he tweet yesterday? We're on a heater, um, after the three commitments. So certainly a, a lot of effort going in from the whole staff. Yeah. Hank Emery Winston, he committed yesterday to tight end out of the Georgia area. It was between Texas, Ohio State, and UCF. And I saw a quote that he said he always dreamed about being in the SEC as a little kid. How big of a get is this? And who does he remind you of as a tight end? You know, does he remind you of JT Sanders? Anybody yeah. like that? Yeah. So, um, you know, you look at him, he's not a huge kid. He's, you know, hair under 6'2. Um, you know, I, I think obviously the first thing you think of is, you know, he's that wise, that kind of that inline blocker type guy, um, but obviously can do can do a lot. His film, I mean, you watch his film and he's a basketball player as well. So, you know, he can go up um, in those contested situations and, you know, high point the ball, win those one on one matchups. So he's a receiving threat as well. But he really, you know, searches for contact as, as a blocker as well. He's a very willing blocker. And I think I think any head coach loves that in a tight end to, you know, have that as an asset that they can use in, in different packages. Um, so, you know, I think he gives them a little bit of both. I think we'll still see Texas go out and, you know, try to probably find more of that bigger bodied wide receiver type tight end uh, more. And, and, you know, talking to Emory Winston, you know, he says uh, he feels like his game is, is uh, comp comparable to, to JT Sanders. That, that was one of the big sells 
um, he had with Texas because, you know, he his quote was even saying like, and I thought this was interesting because, you know, you talk to kids and you're like, oh, I want to, you know, top 10 pick. That's what I'm going to be. But he, he's talking about JT Sanders. And he's like, you know, I see what JT Sanders is doing. He's going to go probably be a second or third round pick this year. And that could be me. Like, you don't hear a kid saying, you know, I could be a second or third round pick in a few years in terms of like that being the selling point, but that's what, that's what he likes. He, he, and, and he's been talking to um, Jatavian Sanders a bunch too. And, and I think he helped a lot in this recruiting process in the last few months with, with really pushing Texas over the edge. So, you know, I think he's, I think he's an exciting prospect. 24 seven sports is actually higher on him than anybody. Um, I think we have him as the number eight tight end and like one twelve or, or something in that range overall in the country. So definitely a guy that, that our, uh, our guys are, are very high on. And, uh, and and I think it says a lot to the fact that you know Texas is taking they go out to Georgia to get a tight end this early in the 2025 cycle. I think that goes to show how much how highly they think of Emory Winston as well. Yeah, Hank, I know you got to run. You're doing a million things, but anything else just uh, for fans heading into signing day? Yeah, you know I think the big things we're watching. You know, there's not like a ton of Texas drama. Um, but, you know, I say that and like knock on wood, it's gonna be like craziest day ever. But no, I, I think Dominic McKinley is a situation to certainly watch. We just mentioned him a minute ago. You know, does he sign tomorrow? Does he take it to February? Um, one guy we're watching that's on Texas's commitment list is uh, is Aaron Hampton, who um, Bama's making a very big push for to try to flip him. And obviously, if you followed this class long enough, you know that um, Hampton has, has decommitted in the past. He's been to, committed to Texas twice. He's been committed to Baylor at one point. So, you know, Flipping, changing commitments, decommitting isn't something foreign to him, you know, so I think keep that in mind. I talked to one source who, you know, they're like, you know, we're not going to be surprised if uh, if that ends up happening. But uh, I talked to another source that would be surprised if that happened. So, you know, I, I lean towards, you know, in that kind of scenario, I lean towards him sticking. I think he I think he obviously committed to Texas for a reason. He is very close with Gideon, Jeff Banks. Um, I think he likes the plan they have for him. But then you the same point, you know, if he does project as a defensive back, um, is he seeing Kobe Black, Xavier Filsamy, uh, Wardell Mack come in and, you know, maybe give him some second thoughts about, you know, where's his place in this class? And and I will say Texas wants him in this class. It's not like he's getting pushed out or anything. So I'm not trying to say it like that. But, you know, from a recruit's point of view. So Aaron Hampton's another one to watch. Um, we're going to keep an eye on Anthony Smith tomorrow. Does he flip? And then, you know, any other guys that decide to maybe sign that, maybe we're planning on waiting until February, like Alex Foster. Does he plan to sign Dalen Evans, the Texas A&M commit Dominic McKinley. So those will be some as well. So should be a fun day. Um, and you know, we'll have you guys covered um, at Horns 24 seven, top to bottom. That's right, baby. Well, listen, man, we appreciate you taking some time. We know you're going hundred miles an hour. Um, sure. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks. Right. Hank. Thank you, man. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. See you. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hank is bringing the thunder, baby. Get over to horns247.com. I mean, literally, he broke the Brandon Brown news just a couple of minutes before he came on with us. And um, listen, that is music to my ears, Zay, when he's talking about those those big defensive linemen. I mean, Daylon Evans, Dominic McKinley. Don't get me all... Don't get me excited, man. Don't tease me. <laughs> Don't tease yeah. me. That's what I'm saying. Like, you should want to play for Bo Davis. 
and Pete Krakowski on this Texas football team at the D-line spot. Just because you got Outland Award winners and Travandre Sweat and the development, they're going to change your body. I mean, T-Sweat gained 100 pounds. And he still has that motor and explosiveness off the line. So it doesn't matter what kind of body type you are. They're going to find a spot for you. Again, T-Sweat and Byron Murphy, two completely different body types. But they get it done in different ways. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man, I'm with you. You need guys like that. That's why it's so important for next season. You can hopefully bring back Vernon Broughton and Alfred Collins. Yeah, and keep an eye on Jamari Caldwell from Houston. Um that's uh, that's definitely a name to to keep in mind on that uh, defensive line. So, um, yeah, man, look, signing days tomorrow, and it's it's crazy to see. I mean, not surprising. Sarkeesian's done an excellent job of recruiting, and he seems to hit not only what he needs, but he brings, you know, he's bringing in guys who are difference makers. And it's one thing if you land, I'm not always like blown away by the four or five star ratings. Cause we've seen guys with four and five star ratings, not, you know, they get to campus and it's like, they've already lived their best life. It, like it was enough just to get that five star rating. The reason why, Nick Saban is so good is because he finds the guys who don't care that they're a five-star. They're trying to get to the league. They're trying to be a difference maker at the pro level. And they want to get developed because they got that motor and energy and hunger. And so far it looks like Steve Sarkeesian and this staff have been doing a good job of evaluating that because Mac Brown Mac Brown was so into getting guys who wanted to be at Texas that he would take guys at the first junior day. Yeah. And so he'd miss the whole senior football season and who developed during the year, who, who broke out, who became that guy. And he missed on a lot of players because of it. Oh, he missed out a ton. He started getting guys that weren't as edgy, guys that didn't get sent to the principal's office too often. Sometimes you got to get them, brothers. You know, sometimes you got to go to the slums and to the ghettos and to the hoods to get those players. And Max stopped getting them. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, like, it's just, I I never understand. Like, this is football, Mac. Football. Right. You got to have guys with screws loose. Yeah, a little nutso. A little, like, you need guys to where you go to sleep at night and you're nervous about getting that call at three in the morning. You need a couple of them guys. You know what I'm saying? Where, ah, damn, Rashid is, we got him on the squad. We know his background ain't the best, but, hey, that talent, that talent's special. You gotta hey, take what did I tell you? Time. When I asked Vince Young, give me an example of your leadership at the uh, awards in Orlando. And he said, well, keeping after Ramon's Taylor was a full-time job. <laughs> hey, man. Ramon's talented. Ramon's talented. And Max still I'm gave talented. up on him. You know how I feel about that one. That was a bad move. Bad move. Like, you, that dude, you ruined that guy's career in a way. 
where you could have just given them a second chance for something that what he wasn't hurting nobody. He wasn't mugging nobody. He wasn't sticking up no bank. He was hitting a little bit of reefer because who knows, his muscles may be aching or he might just want to take the stress off. But that was an era where we really frowned upon that. And that's a shame. Well, that Mark he must have gotten a discount because he had a backpack full of it. Again, you always say the backpack stuff. It ain't no fun unless hey. the homies can't have none. Snoop told us in 93, Doggy Style album. He's passing it out to the homies. He ain't the only person on the team that has some aching muscles and whatnot. Come Generous. on, man. Max should have known. Oh, Ricky Williams, I coach Ricky. So I know this can't be too bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that, that, that's, that's just a little odd that Mac didn't put two and two together. Like, Ricky, probably the biggest pothead I know, was my greatest player of all time. Yet, I'm kicking teams off for marijuana? Come on, Mac. Yeah, he didn't get caught than by the cops. We be- yes, but, you know, let him he do it. I know, but let him do his community service, and you know we we'll bail him out. We'll get him a good lawyer. You can't tell me Mac ain't no no good lawyers. University of Texas, come on now, that's someone we could have gotten. Yeah, where... Remember, it wasn't in Austin; it was in Belton. Oh yeah, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. But he again, he's a Belton legend. He's probably the best player to ever come out of Belton. Why aren't we? Right, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Mac Him and David to... Ash. Gosh, Lee. <laughs> hey, I, I I know, I know you get a little emotional on. I uh... do, man. I love Ramos Taylor, man. He was. So I do too. Versatile. He was so versatile. Gosh. Oh, he was. He could have played anywhere. Anywhere. He played. He could have played corner. He could have played safety. He could have played anywhere. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's do a quick recap of Hank before we get to the chip shot and and right call. So, yeah, they've hit the SEC um, geography with in the 2025 class with K.J. Lacey from Alabama, tight end Emery Winston. Rice Young Jr., K.J. Lacey. Um, from Georgia, yeah. Yes, and, sir. And now Brandon Brown, the defensive lineman from Florida, and the defensive line recruiting, you know, keep an eye on Jamari Caldwell, but you you got Alex January, Alan Mills, DeAndre Robinson. Don't forget about Alex Foster, who's committed to Baylor, currently from the state of Mississippi, who may or may not be signing tomorrow. And if he doesn't, He's committed to Baylor right now, but yeah, that, that fool's lost his mind if he want to go to Waco with all that crap. Dave Aranda on the hot seat, like his ass is basically burnt with how hot that seat uh, seat is down there in Waco. I don't think Homeboy wants any part of that. He better reconsider his decision. Yeah, and uh, and Dominic McKinley is the one to keep an eye on as well. So, yeah, and linebacker Ty Anthony Smith who's currently committed to A&M. Um, Hank thinks he signs with Texas. So we got all kinds of things for you to be keeping an eye on. Make sure you get over to Horns 24-7 for the latest. And also Aaron Hampton, who is a 5'10", 175-pound corner from Dangerfield, is getting wooed by Alabama and might have to keep an eye on him as a potential flip the wrong way 
um, for tomorrow. All right, before we get to the chip shot, let's uh, let me tell you about Apple leasing because listen, it's that time of year where you need to be thinking about gifts. Maybe you should just give the biggest gift to yourself, the gift of a new car. Because some of you are driving around in uh, in a bucket of bolts you can't stand. That's no way to go through life. And especially in Austin, you're going to be in traffic. You need to love the car you're in. How about going to Apple Leasing and picking any maker model of car? They don't care what you pick because they're going to get you whatever you want. And whether you want to keep your payments in the $400 range or get a Range Rover, they're going to go get it for you. Some of you are like, no, I only buy used cars. I don't uh, I don't want to pay for the future trade-in value. Guess what? You... I know I used to buy used cars because I didn't want to buy a new one and have it depreciate three, five thousand or more driving it off the lot. Well, guess what? You're not paying for the future trade in value when you're leasing from Apple leasing. You're only paying for the car while you're driving it. So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford. And it's brand new under warranty. If you lease from a dealership, they're not going to let you change making a model of car. You lease from Apple leasing. You can so two years into your lease, you decide, you know what? I want to drive that make and model a car. No problem. The easy lease at Apple Leasing. Treat yourself this Christmas and just give them a call. Just talk it out. 346-9977. AppleLeasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. And of course, our man Tom McKay and audiovisual consultations. So that you're getting that big screen. You're getting that surround sound. You're getting that surveillance. You're getting the new lighting. Um, electronic shades, he does it all and he just brings it all to you. Brings you the best price on big screens. Don't go shopping around. Just call 255-8678 and let Tom and his crew bring everything to you. You will be glad you did. They've done it in three different houses for me. And you will love working with Tom McKay. 255-8678. And uh, salt traders, I keep telling you. Sugar Bowl, 13 days of the Sugar Bowl. You don't have to wait for some of that great New Orleans food. Just get to Salt Traders Coastal Cooking, the location uh, at Zilker, right off of Mopac. And, of course, the Round Rock location, Salt Traders Coastal Cooking. All right, Zay. It is signing day eve. and. Steve Sarkeesian and his staff are working overtime, man. They're making it happen. What you, life is about timing. Life is about taking advantage of opportunity. And one of the things that comes with Texas making its first college football playoff and becoming the hot place to be the winning place to be, not just the hot place. Like Steve Sarkeesian recruited a bunch of guys, Kelvin Banks, Derek Williams, Anthony Hill, with the with the selling pitch of, hey, come here, help us get over the top. Help us get to the college football playoff. Help us compete for a national title. Now, all those players are his best recruiters. All those players, Anthony Hill, Derek Williams, Kelvin Banks, on and on, Dante Cook. Hey, man, they told me, come here and help us 
get to the college football playoff, Arch Manning. And we're in the college football playoff. That matters. It's like when a coach takes over a team and they get that signature win that pumps belief into the locker room. Like, okay, all this crap, this coaching staff's making us do, it pays off. We're winning games. We're beating Alabama by 10 in their place. That's why tomorrow is so important. That's why all the all the commitments you're seeing for the 2025 class already, KJ Lacey, Emery, Winst- Emery Winston, Brandon Brown, that's important because you can't get complacent in any way. You can't get complacent in any way. And Steve Sarkeesian understands that you have to re-recruit your players every day and it's more so that way than ever before you think brent venables thought i gotta worry about caden green going to missouri my best young offensive lineman and then poof so it's i give i give sarkeesian a lot of credit man he talks about adapting he talks about being aware and building those relationships with his players and that stuff tends to matter. It really does because, um, you know, Malik Murphy could have been the first guy in the portal. He wasn't. Like he was trying to figure it out. He was trying to, do I really want, to, I mean, can is there any way I can stay with this through the playoff? Because I helped get this team there. And, and then inevitably he was like, ah, I got to go, you know, make a decision. And I I do think there was some impact of him being aware that Quinn Ewers was thinking about coming back. And, and so it wasn't just going to be him competing with Arch. It was going to be having to wait. And, and I think he feels like, okay, I've shown I can do, I can, I've shown I can do it. It's time. But the bottom line is tomorrow is a huge day in the continued evolution of Texas football as they prepare to go to the SEC. And um, you just, I I salute Steve Sarkeesian and this staff. I'm not one to blow a lot of hot air. I think people who followed my career know I'm going to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but when I see someone or a staff that gets it and understands the amount of work it takes. And that's where I think Crystal Conte, Jay Hartzell, Kevin L. Tyfe, seeing that in Sarkeesian after being at Alabama, helping Alabama win a national title in 2020, made them realize, okay, this guy knows what it takes. And they knew they were going to the SEC. Sarkeesian didn't, but they were looking at that. And now look, the guy's building an SEC pro. He was building an SEC program from the beginning. Large humans on the offensive line, large humans on the defensive line. Um, so it's an exciting time to be a Longhorns follower, observer. I mean, even the AM fans listening to this show right now agree. They kind of have to keep listening because they want to know what's going on next. 
you don't just have to be a fan of Texas to be curious about what is going on at Texas. This used to be the program of entitlement and players being coddled and pillow soft in all the wrong places. And now this is a program that's built with a bond of players between players. It's a player led program and you better find the right next wave because it can all go to hell in one bad batch of recruits. You let cancer in, we know cancer spreads. Mm. I think Sarkeesians and the staff are doing a good job of finding the guys who want to build this thing and keep it going and be in this position again next year and the next year. So exciting time and momentum is moving in the right direction, but it's not enough just to say, Hey man, we made it to the college football playoff. You got to keep re-recruiting your own players. You got to keep looking for the next players. And especially with the COVID years coming to an end, you're back to having to find the guys who can get it done in one, two, and three years, hopefully because they're talented enough to go on to the NFL after that. So exciting time, big day tomorrow. You'll want to keep it right here on Texas sports unfiltered. And, um, you know, I've, I'm biased. I like my guys over at Horns 24-7 and Hummer at 24-7 Sports. I think they do a great job. Matt Zenitz, all, all the crew that are slaving over a hot laptop right now. So exciting times, Zay. Yeah, very exciting. And hell of a chip shot by you per usual. I'll never forget, Chip, Garrett Wilson – Former Ohio State Buckeye, now New York Jet, former Lake Travis Cavalier. When he was going through the recruitment process and everybody was like, man, wouldn't well, it just make sense for you go right down the street to Texas, you growing up in this area? And he was like, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> like, you know, I'll I'll visit. I'll get wine and dine and stuff like I will for a lot of schools. But he was set with Ryan Day and Urban Meyer from Jump to go to Columbus. And a big reason was Tom Herman, even though he was having nine-win seasons, winning bowl games, they still weren't getting the New Year Six Bowls. They still weren't putting guys to the NFL. So when you start to do those things, slowly but surely, like Sark has in the last few years, you see Bijan going to the NFL. Now you're in a college football playoff. Now everybody's like, oh, so they aren't that country club squad that all these other schools, when you touch down to their campuses, that's what they're saying about Texas. or That's what they have been saying about Texas. Like, oh, these guys are soft. These guys are entitled. Like, it's not that college atmosphere. There's a lot more going on. There's F1. There's the music. you got Austin FC. It's not that. It's not Tuscaloosa. You know what I'm saying? It's not Athens, where it's all Georgia football or all Alabama football. And then CDC, who's done a hell of a job of making it more of a college atmosphere with Bevo Boulevard. And you see the light show. And you see the, you know, just different 
you know, changing up DKR year by year, nighttime, just the atmosphere. It's different. You know what I'm saying? And guys, it's infectious. Guys want to be a part of that. You know, when they walk down the Bevo Boulevard in their suits and stuff and they're getting that love, like you feel that this is a serious college football town, even though there's a lot going on in the city that doesn't have to do with the University of Texas. So I think yeah, you, remember, you remember Jetpack, man? See, that was cheesy. That was mad corny, son. Compare that. <laughs> compare that to the drone light show that Texas is doing in yeah, that game. Exactly. Exactly. So just little things like that that I don't think people see on, you know, it being a big deal to get where you are now. Like that's very important. And yeah, man, tomorrow's very important. And this coaching staff, you know, we'll see if Sark can keep it up. Because, again, we know of success. Coaches are going to start to leave. They're going to find their own head coaching spots. Are you going to be a lot like your mentor Saban and keep on bringing A's in, keep on bringing guys in who are hungry that want to go to Texas as and make that a stepping stone for their careers and their trajectory? Like, are you going to continue to do that? Because we've heard Sark say this wants to be the last job of his career. Like, he does not want to leave. You want you know you want to stay at Texas for the rest of your career. If you could go twenty something years, that'd be ideal because that means a lot of success came with those twenty years. So yeah, I'm about it. I'm very impressed with what this team has done, and yeah, it's an exciting time to be a Longhorn fan. Yeah, these are life lifeblood moments. Signing day. I know everyone's like, oh, you know, I don't really follow recruiting. Recruiting is the lifeblood. If you're not on the right guys, if you're not finding the guys who want to be developed, who want to help build a team that goes to the college football playoff every year, then you're not you're not recruiting the right guys. And that's where that's where this thing is going to get really interesting, because I think there are players on this roster right now who are in the you know, who've been on the scout team this year, giving the team a great look from opponents who are going to be big time players. You know, guys like Warren Roberson and Jelani McDonald and Trevor Goosby and NATO, you know, Yuma Zulu and Cam Williams. And, and um, there are a bunch of really good players right now on the roster who are just waiting their turn. Yeah. You know, Darren, Galette and Leonga LaFau and you know Warren Roberson. So it this is it's hugely important. And then if you can build a culture that's bound by the players, then players don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. They want to stay and wait their turn because they love the guys who are next to them. They love going out of that tunnel on Saturdays with those guys who are going to be their brothers for life and they stay together even in the age of the transfer portal and NIL. And that's like, you know, Sark lost Malik Murphy. We understand why there's only one quarterback, but for the most part, he hasn't lost guys that he really wanted to keep. So just keep that in mind and we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to last forever, but so far it's been a pretty good, track record yeah. all right let's let's get to my man zay the right call call your baby 
Let's get let's get it before the right call though. Shout out to Covert B Cave, the family owned automotive dealership group that have been serving the greater Austin area for over a hundred years. Getting you out of those just old buckets, man. You don't want the smoke coming out the hood. You don't want that check engine light on where you make that right turn. You hear the you don't want that, man. You're going sixty on I thirty five. You look over. You say, look at D. Look at D. DKR, ain't it beautiful? You don't want that. Go to Covert B Cave and get hooked up. Seven terrific brands to choose from. Cadillac, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Ram, Buick, and Jeep. You're going to find what you want at Covert B Cave or go to CovertBCave.com for all the latest specials and inventory. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, Chip, man, this was a hilarious story. So this has been blowing up all over social media. Different talk shows have been talking about it, and it's all because of former Pittsburgh Steelers running back Rashard Mendenhall went out on Twitter and said just some bogus, funny, hilarious stuff. He went out and said via Twitter or X, simply tired of being betrayed by people who are experts in the game. We just pretend like I'm the only athlete tired of these fans talking trash. You this upset over a single tweet. Okay, that's the wrong. I'm reading the wrong one. Either way, the tweet was basically Rashard Mendenhall saying that he's tired of the average white guys commenting on football. This dude says, y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus an all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football? I'm better than your goat. So, I mean, I think it's hilarious. I know people are like, oh, he's being racist, this and that, whatever. Like, J.J. Watt, somebody tried to fire him up about it because J.J. Watt thinks it's funny. He put out a great tweet saying, yeah, I think in the secondary we'll get toasted. But And then somebody tried to clap back on him, and J.J. was like, yo, we need to quit taking everything so seriously. J.J. Watt, that's why I love you. You're absolutely right. This is a funny story that we should just be talking about. Like, it's just funny. Like, I don't know why Rashad Mendenhall felt the need to say this, but yeah. Like, did you see, did you see the response from like the first three people who responded were like, I'm sick of running backs fumbling the ball in the biggest game they'll ever play in. I was like, man, yeah, he did fumble in that game versus Green Bay, huh? I mean, you know, I think it'd be a close game. I really do. <laughs> I know everybody's like, oh, the brothers would win. That's so Okay, so bad. who do you Not think so he was bad. picturing? Hmm? Who do you think he was picturing when he, like, was he? I mean. I'm trying to think. I mean, some of the, I mean, you got Tony Romo. You got Greg Olson. You got oh. guys who, I don't know, played. Chris Collinsworth went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, Aikman. Yeah, Aikman know. won three Super Bowls, the most accurate passer in NFL playoff history. Um, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, if we're talking about now, like current NFL players, we got the brothers, then we got 
the white folks on the other side. I'm telling you, if you're not talking about secondary, other than that, white brothers match up. Now, I will say, the blacks, we get Max Crosby. That's just obvious. <laughs> That's just obvious. We get Max Crosby. Y'all can have Russell Wilson. But other than that, everything seems to match up, man. The Watt brothers, you know, TJ, the Bosa brothers, I mean, they're a problem. You know, look at offense, anybody, Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin on the line, Lane Johnson, Christian McCaffrey at running back. I know, but I'm trying to think of who set him off, what announcer made him say this i don't know i mean peyton and eli like when did he tweet this out it was the other day it was like two days ago because like the manning cast was going on last night they had christian mccaffrey on yeah he could be talking about the skip baylesses of the world oh okay well that or pat mcafee who was a punter okay Pat McAfee, who I think is great, but he was a punter. So, well, people... if it's Skip Bayless, then yeah, I got it. Skip is the ultimate contrarian. He he checks which way the wind's going, and then he goes the other way. And he's done that his whole career, and he's made it's made him a fortune. Like half the time, you don't know if Skip really believes what he's saying, or he's just done that good of a job of farming out and researching the contrarian viewpoint and then being able to represent it over and over and over and over again. I mean, yeah. he was, I know. He Skip was, a, I know he was he anti LeBron forever. He still is. That's, I mean, that's really been his stick for a longest time. Like just, God. I hate LeBron. And that's, there was a point weird. where LeBron had been to seven straight finals with three different teams. Yeah. Like, wherever he went, his team was going to the finals. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah. Like, Jordan didn't drag the Wizards to the finals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those Wizards teams were so trash, man. Tyron Lue, your starting point guard. A mix of Jerry Stackhouse and Rip Hamilton, who was trading for one another. Like, Mike, what are we doing here? And Rip was good with the Pistons, but Rip wasn't that good with Mike. So, yeah, I I try, I try to give Jordan the benefit of the doubt. Those Wizards years, he was better than people thought. I want to say he was no, still he average was. 20. I'm just saying, like, and I You're get right. it. I mean, yeah. LeBron, he got he got to play with D. Wade, but he got Bosh to go. I mean, or he played with Bosh and, and D. Wade, but he got what? I mean, he he had players around him, whatever. But still, uh, seven straight finals. Yeah, uh, people always say, "Oh, he had D Wade and stuff." Go back and look at the games D Wade played. D Wade played like fifty-five game seasons, sixty game seasons. Was getting shots in his knee because he had all types of problems, having all types of surgeries. Like D Wade would have said, he'd be playing to this day if he didn't have all those injuries. And a lot of them came during the Heatles era. So, as good as D Wade was, one of the top shooting guards of all time, LeBron didn't get the D Wade 
that we all know and love. Like what we saw against the Mavs in the finals and, you know, 08 Olympics, D-Wade and 09 where he was leading the league and scoring 33. Like 2012, 2013 D-Wade, completely different player than what he became famous for. Was it 06 when they played the Mavericks? Yeah. Yeah, 06. He was flopping like a fish on a boat. getting, Getting every call. He was throwing his body around. Just falling all over the place, but I don't know. Mavs were up two zip in that series. Yeah, and I I don't think that Heat team was very good. You had a wash, Jason. They just had none but wash legends. Wash white chocolate, Jason Williams. A wash, Antoine Walker with his little shimmy and BS that he used to do. A wash, Gary Payton. Shaq was still pretty good, but he was on his way to becoming washish. Was Alonzo but, still there? Yes, they had yes. Alonzo Mourning, who was completely washed. Like that team, they weren't that good. And D Wade got some favorable calls and did some crazy stuff and one full straight to when it was an unfair two three two playoff setup. So stupid. So just come on, guys. Like we got planes, we got money in the NBA. Two two one one one. Let's. It should have been that from the Lakers Celtics days. Like, who gives a damn about you know the travel five hours? So what? The team that has the best record deserves the home court advantage. They deserve to have their game five at home. Like game five tied at two two. A lot of the time, I want to say eighty percent of the time, that makes the series. So you go back and look at a lot of those NBA finals where you're like, how how this team win? It was because they had home court advantage and won like three straight games at home before they had to go back away, like the Heat. So, yeah, man, that's a different story for a different day, though. I covered that NBA finals for the morning news that year. Yeah. I got to go, I got to, go to Miami, Oof. hang out. Nothing like South Beach, man. Biscayne Bay. That's... The Delano Hotel, baby. The Delano. That place you walk in, that's the place with the pool that goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Udonis Haslam was still playing. Jeez. I mean, he was just starting. He's still playing now. Or his last season, uh, right? I think he retired. I think finally. he finally hung it up. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne Simeon from Kansas. Good grief. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's one of the worst teams to win a championship. Absolutely. Which is an oxymoron, but still. All the NBA champions, like, I'll take that Pistons team in 04 way over those Heat teams. Thank you. You know. I'm a little biased. I love those Pistons teams. The Mavs had Keith Van Horn. Good grief. He was nice, though, Keith. Utah days with Andre Miller and uh, Doliak when they used to go to the Final Four a lot. Yo, Keith Van Horn. He was all right. He would sub in for Spell Dirk every once in a while. 
Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Rick Majerus living out of a hotel room. Legend. Oh, man. Texas Legend. was this close. Yeah, they were really hiring close. Rick Majerus. They were close with Jimmy Johnson. They were close with Rick Majerus. Man, there were a couple. Were Saban, right Chip. Yeah, Saban, Chip. Not that he would have worked out. No. <laughs> Jeez. They tried. Good to see you two together. This is nice. This is a little change. We're going to the uh, Stars game tonight. That's right. Texas Stars game with our buddy Steve, owner and operator of Pest Wranglers. Going to grab a meal at Mama Betty's prior to that. Doing the full Cedar Park experience now that I got Kevin up here for, it usually happens once or twice a year. Yeah. So this is one of those two times we're going to make sure to do it right. He was like, there's no traffic. And 183, I'm, I'm like, there has to be a wreck. Like my old Austin brain was still functioning. And it was apparently not that bad. This is one of the two weeks of the year, maybe Memorial Day week also, where you can usually avoid the giant mess that is 183 yep. during rush hour. Hey, I was at that 98 Final Four in San Antonio. Zay. Yeah. Doliak, Miller. Yeah, Kentucky, Utah. Yeah, it was Vince Carter and Antoine who lost. That was the team I was rooting for. And Kentucky and Derek Anderson and that team ended up winning. Tubby. Tubby Smith. Tubby mm. Smith, you're exactly right. Yeah. You know, they had some good players. It wasn't like the 96 team, but they were good. Is Tubby still coaching somewhere? I don't know. I haven't I seen so. Tubby since. I don't think so. Minnesota? I felt like yeah. he had another stat in between that, but yeah, I feel like he was D two or something after that. He was at Memphis before Anthony Hardaway. Mm. Yeah, KD that ninety six team, Antoine Walker, Shimmy in there. He's Tony at High Delk, Ron mm. Mercer. Come on, they would work man. half the G League teams right now. <laughs> like those guys, Walter McCarty. You go through it. Like, even there, you know, it reminds me of the old Canes when they did that 30 for 30 with a football team where they go, even the white boys are tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone on that team could play. Travis yeah. Ford. Yeah. yeah. Or was Ford 93? He may have been before that. Yeah. Oh, Nazi Muhammad. Carlos Huerta's played forever. Yeah, Tubby's at high point, his alma mater. That's right. God, that is down bad. He was at Memphis until 2018, and Anthony took over, and then he went to high point. This is such a – I mean, sports in general are all about the retreads. It's shocking, and maybe Tubby is just making this decision on his own, but it's shocking that he's not coaching at a higher level. Maybe he's just ready to be back home for good and help yeah. out his alma mater. He's making a little bit mess, less, but he's made a boatload of money in his life, so he doesn't have to worry about that as much, and now it's back to purely being for the love of the game. No pressure. Right. I yeah. mean, these guys, but Zay, you know, this better than we do. And that's why I love how CC, you know, dominated, but like went out on his own terms and coaching is like a drug for a lot of these people. You know, they're going to die, die with a whistle in their mouth because they just cannot give it up. And, you know, I mean, it's so I'm saving like, why is Saban still coaching right now? Why aren't you fishing every day? Yeah. Belichick pop right. all these guys. Yeah. Well, you guys need to, you guys, Oh, we forgot to talk about Jerry Kill, and we're not going to talk about it tomorrow because it's signing day. Well, hit it right now. What do you got? Well, y'all need to go listen to his rant after his team lost in the New Mexico Bowl. Oh, my God. It involves 
one of his players having taken a whiz on the <laughs> midfield logo of the New Mexico Lobos after New Mexico State beat New Mexico, and then New Mexico State had to play in the New Mexico Bowl on the New Mexico campus, and Jerry Kill was like going on and on that New Mexico officials made it hard for New Mexico State to practice for the bowl game because they couldn't get into the facilities all. He talked about how he punished his guy who took a whiz on the Lobos (laughs) midfield logo. I'm surprised Trey has not locked onto this story because it is a classic. And his post-game rant comes out of nowhere. We're going to have to check that out at some point. We can't do it today unless BK has it in the uh, hopper right now, but I need to hear this. I need to look into the story too. Yeah, it's it's classic. So with that, fellas. Guys, great job. Take care. Appreciate Appreciate you. Later, fellas.